Hello, Saints. Good to be back with you again. And I just want to thank you for being with us today. Lord bless you. And I thank you, Lord, for all the saints that are out there today. And I ask that you bless them with ears to hear and eyes to see. And I ask, Lord, that your provisions would be made plain to them and that your holiness would convict them, Father, and that your word would go into their hearts and that they would be partakers of the whole lamb. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And I ask, Father, that you give us your grace today to encourage the brethren, to be bold in their faith, and to believe you for everything, Lord, Lord, our God. And I thank you, Father. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. You know, the Lord loves to do miracles for us. And over in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, To do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. We limit him so much with our minds because we haven't seen this or we haven't seen that. And so we think it has to be impossible. But God's going to do some impossible things. How many of you know God can do impossible things? You know, when the worldly odds are against us, that's when things are in your favor concerning God because in Second Corinthians 12 and 9, it says power is made perfect in our weakness. He wants to show himself strong on behalf of those who put their trust in him. And he's about to do this in an un in an unusual way. When Jesus first came, and that's a type and a shadow of what we're going through right now, we know that it was a time of great miracles. The people had never experienced anything like it until Jesus came. And yet now, he's about to come again and do again what he did in those days, except he's come and manifested in his people to bring that great, latter rain revival and he's going to come unto us the bible says in hosea chapter 6 and verse 3 as the rain as the latter rain that waters the earth well when's that hosea 6 and 2 says on the morning of the third day that's where we are right now so i'd like to talk a little bit about abraham's experience here because i think as sons of abraham we're going to be walking in his steps. We're going to be believing for the impossible. And we're going to see the glorious works of God. Glory to God. I'm going to start over in Romans chapter 4, verse 16. For this cause it is of faith that it may be according to grace, to the end that the promise may be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham. If you're a Christian, you are to walk in the steps of Abraham, our spiritual forefather, in his faith. And it says, who is the father of us all. So if you're born again, you're the true New Testament seed of Abraham. Romans 4 and 17 says, as it is written, a father of many nations have I made thee before him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls the things that are not as though they were, who in hope believed against hope 
to the end that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall thy seed be. Who in hope believed against hope? In other words, nobody in Abraham's day had the hope that God would do what he did for them, for, for Abraham. Nobody. Even Abraham himself found it hard and had to struggle with it. When the whole world had no hope, Abraham had hope. And of course, it was a gift of God. He hoped that he might become a father of many nations because of what the Lord had spoken to him. Just uh, so shall thy seed be in Genesis 15 and 5. And it says in Romans 4 and 19, And without being weakened in faith, he considered his own body. Well, he could see that he wasn't capable of bringing to pass what God had promised. And that's why it was hard for him. God told him 25 years before he brought it to pass what he was going to do. And he waited and he waited and he waited. And I'm talking about God waited until it was totally impossible, naturally speaking, for it to come to pass before he brought it to pass, so that everyone would know that only God could do this. And that's what God does. This is a miracle. You see, God doesn't ever want to share his glory with man. When we get into a situation that's just totally impossible, don't limit God, because that's exactly where he wants to give the answer. And yet that's the place where, that's the place where we most often limit him. And verse 18 says, who in hope he believed against all hope that he might be the father of many nations. And he considered his body now as good as dead, he being about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He knew all this and he understood this. He wasn't lying to himself about this. Verse 20, yet looking into the promise of God, he wavered not through unbelief, but waxed strong through faith, giving glory to God. Looking unto the promise of God, he saw Sarah and he saw himself. He saw his wrinkles and he saw hers. And he just knew, naturally speaking, that there was just no way for him to bring this to pass. And you could say in a spiritual way the same thing is today is about us do we really believe that we can bear fruit do you know that it is just as impossible for us to bear the fruit of Jesus Christ as it was for Abraham to bear Isaac who was a type of Jesus Christ who is the promised seed right and it's just as impossible for us to manifest Jesus Christ and we look at the verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 18. This is one David says all the time. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. We see it in the mirror by faith. We see the gift of Christ in us, in the mirror by faith. And of course, faith is the only thing that's going to bring this to us. And we can, we can't do anything 
to bring this to pass anymore than uh, Abraham or Sarah could have brought that fruit to fruition. It ain't possible. But Abraham wavered not through unbelief. He knew, according to the flesh, that this thing was impossible. So much so, he laughed. And, of course, Sarah did, too. They both laughed. Well, it was kind of hilarious that God could do this thing in these old people. But they wavered not through unbelief, but waxed strong through faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what he had promised he was able also to perform. Wherefore also it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. And no matter what you believe God for, folks, if you believe his promise, God calls you righteous in that regard. And there are many who don't. There are many so-called Christians who don't believe the promises of God. And they are unrighteous in that regard. Verse 23, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was reckoned unto him, but for our sake also unto whom it shall be reckoned, who believe on him that raised Jesus our Lord from the lead. Uh, from the dead, who was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. So you see, he's applying the fruit of Jesus in us to the fruit of Abraham. Abraham and Sarah had no power to bring this to pass, but the Lord got the power, don't it? Actually, the Lord waited and he waited and he waited. And we can look at this and see it. So let's go to Genesis chapter 12 and look at the story of Abraham. Now you remember that Abraham, his father Terah, and his brother set about to leave Babylon, the Chaldees as they were called in chapter 11. Abraham's father and brother died in the land of the Chaldees. Even though they set about to leave, they didn't make it out. But Abraham did. He left Ur of the Chaldees and he went to the promised land. But his father and brother didn't make it out. But God spoke unto Abraham and told him, You come out from among them. You separate and you go to Canaan's land. And that's where chapter 12 begins. It says in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto the land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. Now, here's where this promise first came in. I'm going to make of thee a great nation. Abraham was 75 years old at this time. Then he said, I will bless thee and make thy name great and be thou a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and him that curses thee will I curse. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In Thee, in Abraham, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Well, how's that going to happen? In the Old Testament, it wasn't impossible. But in the New Testament, since we just read the story, how that we are in Abraham when we walk by faith and we become a part of his body of people on this earth when we walk by faith. So in thee shall all the families of the earth, and ain't just the Jews now, be blessed. 
And verse 4 says, So Abram went as Jehovah had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And that was at the beginning. And Isaac wasn't born yet. He wasn't born for another twenty-five years. And God really wanted to make sure that Abraham would not have any part in this, and that no one could give any credit to Abraham. Like Abraham was dead in his body. The curse had come full circle and it had taken its toll upon him and Sarah. And like every one of us, because of the curse, the nature that has been passed on to us through generations and generations, we have no ability to bring forth the fruit, the promised seed of Christ in us, the hope of glory. And then if you look over in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 2, and Abram said, O Lord God, what wilt thou give me? Seeing I go childless, and he that shall be possessor of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, this man shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward the heaven and number the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. That's the reason we have to leave Babylon, folks, to get our real inheritance in the land of Canaan, in the land of promise, in the land of milk and honey. Abraham was worried. It had been a while, and he had not seen God do what he promised he would do. Now, he's only about 15 years from the answer. And then to punctuate this, Abraham asked God, how do I know you're going to do this? Well, God cut a covenant with him, a blood covenant with him. And from verses 9 on down, God cut a blood covenant with him. What was the purpose of that? Well, it says in verse 18, in that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, unto thy seed have I given thee given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Then he spoke about all the people who lived in the land at the time. And so this covenant was to make sure that his seed inherited all of the land. We've been given a covenant, and just such a covenant, to make sure that we inherit this land. We're talking about the promised land that the spiritual man is supposed to take possession of from the carnal man, from the Canaanite, right? We've been given a covenant to make sure of that, too. And this is our guarantee, just like this was Abraham, or Abram's guarantee, that he was going to bear fruit that was impossible to him, and just as impossible, and it was getting more and more impossible all the time. Once again, I say, when the odds are against you, according to the world, 
That's when they're actually in your favor with God. God doesn't do things that are easy. He likes to do things that are impossible. And he was making it more and more impossible because of his waiting and waiting and waiting until Abraham was way past the age. Then it says in Genesis 16 in verse 1, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. Go in, I pray thee, unto my handmaid. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Well, I want to point something out to you. Abraham was an Adam. He was the beginning of a group of people who God was taking out of the world to be his own possession. Remember what the Lord said unto Abram? Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. This is 3 and 17. And because of this, the curse came upon the world. Now we got another Adam. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Jesus was called the last Adam. 1 Corinthians 15.45, so also it is written, the first man Adam became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. It didn't say he was the second Adam. It says he was the last Adam. Abram was an Adam too. He was the beginning of a new creation and a new people that God was calling his people. His body, his church in the wilderness and just like Jesus was a new beginning, Abraham was this beginning. And now he was being tempted, just like Adam and Jesus were tempted. He was being tempted to take a shortcut and not wait on the Lord and to help God out. How many of you ever know this is real common with us Christians, to help God out? But in so many ways, God has to wait until we're dead to that. And this was a part of the thing that was keeping the promise from coming to pass. All the ingenuity that men have to save themselves, and God ain't going to share his glory with anyone else. And we're quick to rely upon another Jesus or to give in to the temptation, right? So Abram hearkened unto the voice of his wife. And as you know, in both cases, with Adam and with Abram, this brought a curse. Now, I know there's people out there thinking right now, oh, I don't really like that. I have some good news for you, folks. You may be born of Ishmael, or you may be born of Esau. You may be of that lineage. And you've been told, for instance, that Hagar was the real mother, the real wife, that this is all a fairy tale. I want to share some good news with you. It don't make any difference whether you're an Ishmaelite or an Edomite or a Jew or any other Gentile. Doesn't make any difference whatsoever because in the New Testament, we just read one of the most important things in Romans 4 and 16. For this cause it is of faith that it may be according to grace to the end that the promise may be sure to all the seed. All the seed. Not to that only which is of the law. And that's the Old Testament Jews who had that covenant. And it goes on and says, But to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. 
verse 17, as it is written, a father of many nations. Now the word there is actually Gentile. Have I made thee before him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls the things that are not as though they were. In our covenant, the new covenant, it has a perfect numeric pattern going through it, given the signature of God on it. And the only thing that's important, do you walk in the steps of Abraham concerning his faith? Are you born from above? And are you a member of his lifeline, spiritually speaking? Now, let me show you something that some of you would call some good news. Let's read it in Romans chapter 9 and verse 16. But it, it is not as though the word of God hath come to naught. For they are not all Israel that are of Israel. Now look at that carefully. Who is Israel in the New Testament? What Paul tells us in Romans chapter 2. It's not those who are circumcised in flesh, but those who are circumcised in heart that are New Testament Israel. And if you'll notice, he's saying the same thing here. They are not all Israel that are of Israel. All Israel, meaning all of the people of Israel that are of Israel. That is, those who are born of Israel. And then verse 7, neither because they are Abraham's seed, and that's talking about in the flesh, are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, it is not the children of the flesh that are the children of God. It wasn't Abraham's children, according to the flesh, that are the children of God. But the children of the promise are reckoned for a seed, or considered a seed. In other words, it ain't got nothing to do with whether you are a Jew or if you are Abraham's seed in the new covenant. It has to do with whether you walk in the steps of Abraham's faith. That's what makes you an Israelite in the New Testament. In Galatians, it says something real important about who this seed is. And he says in Galatians 4, 28, Now we, brethren, talking about Christians here, as Isaac was, are children of promise. Now, back over in Romans 9, it's not the children of the flesh that are children of God, but the children of the promise are reckoned for a seed. So what physical relationship do the Christian Gentiles have with Abraham? They got no physical connection whatsoever. But the faith is what makes the difference, folks. And we were grafted into the olive tree of all Israel in Romans chapter 11. Because of what? Because of our faith. And they who were the natural seed were broken off because of their unbelief. They didn't believe in the sacrifice of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who came to die for their sin. Now, when you go back over and look at this parable, which is what it is in Genesis 12 through 17, it's just that. It's a parable. It ain't got nothing to do with the physical other than it points towards something greater in the New Testament. We have a New Testament covenant, and this is the shadow of it. It's a shadow of the good things to come, the Bible says. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have eternal life. Whosoever believes on him. That has nothing to do with being a physical offspring of Abraham. 
It has to do with being a spiritual offering because you walk in his steps. The Bible says in 1 John 2 and 6, he that says he abides in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. You can't prove that you are a member of Christ's body unless you act just like he acted. And that's why they call them Christians. And you can't prove that you are a member of Abraham's body unless you walk in the faith that he had. And obviously, that's going to be proven one way or the other, whether you are actually a member of Abraham's body or not. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 50, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. And it don't matter what your lineage is. You can forget about your physical lineage because this old man is not a member of the kingdom of God anyway. That's just dirt. That's the spiritual man is sown in. The spiritual man who is born from above, born of God, he's Abraham, see, because of the faith. And back in Genesis, it says in chapter 16 and 4, and he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Uh-oh. That's a root of bitterness that set in her right then. The Bible says, defiles the many, right there in Ishmael's mother. A root of bitterness. And it was passed on to him because Ishmael, of course, felt rejected by his father. And it says in verse 12, And he shall be as a wild ass among men. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his brethren. So that root of bitterness was carried on by Ishmael. It was inherited through his mother and through his circumstance and through what he went through all the way down until today. We have all inherited the sins of our parents. All of us, and that disqualifies any of us from having any part of the kingdom of God. And the only hope we have is that we would be reckoned to be a seed because of our faith. And that enables us to enter the kingdom, whereas by our works, we'd never be able to enter. And or by our nature, we'd never be able to enter. And that's the real good news, folks. Now let's go to Genesis chapter 17. And over in verse 15, it says, And God said unto Abraham, Well, now he's got a new name. God gave him a new name. He changed his name from Abram to Abraham. And A-H, meaning the brother of, added to his name. And what does name mean? It means nature, character, and authority. It was a change of name, means a change of nature, character, and authority. So now, God called him Abraham, which means the father of a multitude. So here's a man who had never been a father, could not be a father in the natural with his wife, and was now being called by God and by everyone else the father of a multitude. So there was a lot of words of faith that were going up for Abraham when they spoke his name. Pretty neat, huh? 
You know, Sarah got a name change too. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah, which means princess, shall her name be, and I will bless her, and moreover, I will give thee a son of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. And then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed. <laughs> a lot of people talk about Sarah laughing, but look at here. Abraham laughed too. You can imagine the situation that he was in. He was 86 years old back in chapter 16, verse 16. He was 86. And then verse 18. And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Well, now, here's unbelief talking. How about accepting this boy, Lord? We've already got him. We know how it works. Waiting on this faith thing is too hard on our flesh. Well, it always is, isn't it? And God said, Nay, but Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son. Thou shalt call his name Isaac, which means laughter, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his seed after him. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. So now that he, we know that he's talking about when Abraham was 99 years old. Now we're 24 years in the future from when he first spoke that promise unto Abraham. Verse 23, and Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all that were born in his house and all that were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day as God had said unto him. And Abraham was ninety years old and nine when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In chapter 18, it says, and he's at verse 10, and he said, I will certainly return unto thee when the season comes around and lo, Sarah, thou, thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. And Sarah laughed within herself. She might not have done it out loud, but she did. She chuckled and then sang, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child who am old? They ain't never seen nothing like that happen before. And if they had any reason for unbelief, it was apparent, wasn't it? that nobody had ever seen anything like that ever happen before. And yet, God chose this to glorify himself and to be a type of something that is just as impossible in our day, and that's to bear the fruit of Jesus Christ in us. Ain't nobody believes him. The, the people around Abraham didn't believe it. The preachers in our day don't believe it in our day, and multitudes of Christians. Christians don't believe it in our day. 
And they laugh too when you tell them what the Lord has planned to do in his people, that Jesus Christ is going to live in them. They laugh and scoff at you. They criticize you. And they throw obsolete verses at you and everything else. But he says here in verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, I'm going to ask you something. Is it too hard for the Lord to mature and perfect his people? Well, if you believe it's too hard, it's going to be too hard. But if you don't, then you are accounted as righteous, and you are a seed of Abraham through faith. Verse 14, at the set time, I will return unto thee when the season comes around, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not. Well, maybe she didn't physically, but she did, didn't she? Because she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. The, the Lord heard her laugh, and she named her son laughter. Praise God. Then in chapter 21 it says, in verse 5, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh. Everyone that hears will laugh with me. Yeah. And I think this manifestation of the promised seed is Jesus. He came as that promised seed. And he's coming again as the promised seed to us. Because we, as Isaac was, are children of promise. He's coming once again to us. And Ishmael was about 14 when this happened. And it wasn't just a miracle of birth. It was a miracle of restoration of Abraham and Sarah. Because look what it says in verse 7. And she said, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should give children to suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. She was restored. Abraham was restored. And after all those years, God brought his promise to pass. But he waited. And he waited. And he waited. Until they thought it was impossible for them to do anything. Now in the beginning, they were quite quick. And it didn't let, uh, take them long after God had made the promise until Sarah had come up with the Hagar substitute, did it? Let's go ahead and try this. We're going to try that, okay? The Lord makes a promise and he wants to fulfill it. And he wants to fulfill it his way. And men have all kinds of ingenuity. We're trained. From a small, a small child on up to save ourselves, aren't we? And yet God is a jealous God. He wants to be our Savior. Sarah was restored. Abraham was restored. And he started a whole other family after this. He was a hundred years old. And he started another whole family after this. He had at least six more children. If you look in chapter 25, it looks as though Abraham was 137. At that time, verse 1, And Abraham took another wife. For goodness sake, this was after he buried Sarah. And her name was Keturah. And she bare him six sons, Zimran, Jokshan, and Medan, and Midian, and Ishbak, and Shua. And we don't know how many daughters because they usually didn't list the daughters. Could have been a bunch of daughters too, but he had, but he did have six sons. God restored that old man and he almost lived two lives. 
At a hundred years old, he had his first son. But now at 137, he started having a whole other family. Until verse 7, he was 175 years old. Why did he live to be 175 years old? Well, I can tell you now it's because of a, a miracle of restoration had been done on his body, a DNA miracle of restoration. So he had, who had no power to bring forth fruit, and I suppose Sarah could represent the body of Christ. And she who had no womb that could have brought forth fruit, God did it for them. Because they believed after they got through with all of their laughter. And it didn't take long. It doesn't take long for God to fulfill. He has to wait until we get through with all of our foolishness so that he can fulfill it. It says his power is made perfect in weakness. It's either God is going to do it or you're going to do it, right? When you get through trying, God's still going to be there. He'll be ready. And he calls it what? He calls it a Sabbath. We have to learn to cease from our works and enter into God's rest where all of the promises are fulfilled. The Old Testament Sabbath rest was a type of our New Testament Sabbath rest of ceasing from our works every day to save ourselves and provide to do all of these things, entering into that rest. And what is he, he calls it a sabbatismos. Over in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, a sabbatismos, or a continual rest, not a one-day rest, we continually cease from our works and our efforts to bring to pass God's promises, which are all past tense. God already promised these things. And if he promised it, he's going to bring it to pass. And if he promised to heal you, if by his stripes you were healed, it's already there. It's already promised. It's already past his. So if you keep his Sabbath, you have to accept that he has already done this. And that's why so many people miss out on it, because they really don't understand this. When we read the word of God, we have to be like a child in accepting what God says. He said in Matthew 18 and 1, In that hour came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, that's a real fleshly question, isn't it? They all wanted to know who was the greatest. Well, Jesus had a, a strange answer. Verse 2, and he called to him a little child and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye turn, which is another word for repent, and become as little children, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. That sounds dangerous, don't it? Except you become as a little child, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, where do we enter the kingdom? We have to enter the kingdom right here. Here is where we have to become as a child. And a child is someone who just accepts what the father says. Children are not as ingenious as grown-ups are. They haven't been trained year after year after year after year to save themselves. If they hear their father say something, it comes to them a lot easier than grown-ups. Verse 4. 
Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Well, you know, this little child was willing to be the least in the midst of them. The one who would sit on the lap, the one who would not be counted as the greatest, and the one who knew he was not the greatest. The one who knew that he was not yet grown up. He was not yet capable. All these things that grown-ups seem to believe about themselves. And actually, a little child will receive miracles when grown-ups won't. Because a little child will believe and grown-ups won't. This little child was willing to be the least. <clears throat> and they all want to know who's the greatest. The person who is willing to be the least is the greatest. That's what Jesus was saying. It's not the person that seeks with selfish ambition to become the greater than everybody else. That's the greatest. It's the one that's willing to be the least. The greatest servant, the smallest in the midst. That's who God says is the greatest. Verse 5, And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receives me. That's where Jesus is. That's who Jesus lives in. The person who is willing to be the least. The servant of all. He said in one place, the greatest among you shall be your servant. People want to be the great one, don't they? But they don't want to be a servant of all. He said, when you find someone who's like this little child, that's where I am. You can see the giants in chapter 13 of the book of Numbers. We're all called to go into our promised land to conquer the giants, the great ones. And I know what people say naturally about these giants, and I ain't interested in that. And I think when you're looking at the parable, you want to look at the fulfillment of it. But this promised land is inhabited by the great ones that the people of the world think are great. Jesus said, if the world loves you, the Father does, does not. Those who are great in the world are small in the kingdom. That spiritual man who is the true seed of Abraham and the true seed of Jesus Christ, who is actually being created in his image, is the one that has been given the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, to put to death that old man that rules the land, the giant that rules the land. In Numbers 13, that's the story of the giants. And they went in and spied out the land and decided, well, we can't whoop them folks. There ain't no way. They're too big. In Numbers 13, 27, right? They told him and said, We came unto the land whether thou sentest us, and surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Howbeit the people that dwell in the land are strong, and their cities are fortified and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anite there, and Amalek dwelleth in the land of the south, and the Hittite, and the Jebusite, and the Amorite dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanite dwells by the sea, along by the side of Jordan. And Caleb still the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. He was confident, wasn't he? Just on the word of God, he was a little child. That's what he's talking about. Verse 31, But the men that went up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we are. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had spied out unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof, 
and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come of the Nephilim. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And just like I've shared before, so many people of God and their preachers claim that it's just not possible to take this land. You can't overcome. You can't be perfect. So just settle for being forgiven. But that old man who rules in the land is the one who wants to be the greatest. He's the one who wants to rule. And in the natural and in the carnal churches, he's the one that does rule. That old man rules. They've never been put to death. And to these preachers, they are not capable of conquering that old man. He's too big, he's too bad, impossible. But with God, it's just another one of those places where when the odds are against you, they're actually in your favor. Because when you're small and when you're incapable, when you are weak, what did God say to Paul? He said, my power is made perfect in weakness. And he meant Paul's weakness. And so in this situation, this is where God loves to do miracles. If you're carnally minded, you think, well, this is an impossible situation. God ain't going to do this. We've never seen him do this before. That's where Abraham was. He had never seen it before, and Sarah had never seen it before. It was impossible. Now, we're coming to a time when God's going to finish the work of his people because we're coming to the end. Is God going to do it in these days? These are the days he said he was going to do it in. These are the days he said he was going to perfect his people. And these are the days he said he was coming again on the morning of the third day, right? As the rain, as the latter rain that waters the earth, as he said he would come. It goes on to say in number 14 and 1, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. Because they believed the bad report. They thought it must be right according to nature. Look at those giants. Ain't no way we can conquer them. They even said in verse 4, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. They didn't want to see any more of those guys. They said, Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? So many people come to the Lord and they return to Egypt. Because they have no hope of conquering the giants. They have no hope of ruling in this land. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 7 says, We are the land which hath drunk the rain that comes off upon it, and bringeth forth herbs meat for them, for whose sake it is also till. Then he said in uh, verse 7, If it bears thorns and thistles, it is rejected and nigh unto a curse, whose end is to be burned. Paul was saying in Hebrews 6 that we're that land and God wants the seed of Abraham, that promised seed, to be manifested in our land. Yeah, it's impossible for us to bring that uh, that forth by our own carnal nature. We've been too long under the curse like Abraham and Sarah. But it ain't according to us, is it? It's not according to our nature. It's not according to our ability. It's according to God's promise. And those who believe his promises are the true seed of Abraham. So you need to keep that in mind when things look impossible. Ain't nothing impossible with God. Glory to God, I can tell you that. We are the promised land according to Hebrews chapter 6. And God has given us, this spiritual man, victory over the carnal man. 
The Israelite was given a victory over the Canaanite by the virtue of the fact that God promised he was going to give them that land. They would rule that land and take their houses, and of course, this is our house. This brings us to the fact that when they went into the promised land, they saw these giants, and they feared these giants because they were an ominous nation, and that they thought they couldn't, could not conquer with their little old bitty nation that they had. But God had promised. But God. And there ain't no doubt in my mind that the giant represents the ego and the self. Every spirit that confesses not Jesus is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. First John 4 3. Every spirit. So we're talking about a corporate spirit of Antichrist. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you are against me, Matthew 12 and 30. And against means anti, doesn't it? There's a body of anti-Christ, just like there's a body of Christ in the earth. That old man is a member of the body of the beast. He's a member of the anti-Christ. Flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God, 1 Corinthians 15 50. So it's very much against you. The flesh wars against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh, right? Folks, there's a war going on. The beast against the Christ. These giants that they thought they couldn't take, and their preachers were telling them they couldn't take, represent the overwhelming odds. And the old man who has always ruled their life was so big in their sight, they just didn't believe that they could conquer him. And the overwhelming majority of the witnesses who went in to spy out the land came back and caused the people's heart to stumble because they told the people in Numbers 13 and 21, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. Joshua and Caleb were faithful witnesses of the Lord. And they came back and they gave the good report, didn't they? The others gave the bad report. Numbers 13 and 30, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. And we know from Numbers 14 that those who gave the bad report died in the wilderness before the Lord. So this ego, this self-life that God has given us has to be conquered. We've got some awesome examples in the scriptures. That when the odds are against you, it's always in your favor in the scriptures. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but God, people are always outnumbered in warfare when they won. They were outnumbered and they were outarmed by the Egyptians. And all the beast kingdoms that came against them were conquered by God. And this flesh seems to us, as we've lived in it all our lives, to be bigger than life. Bigger than us. Bigger than our ability. We've all tried to conquer the flesh on our own. Sometimes God has left us to our own ability to teach us a lesson that the flesh can't be conquered by us since it's a part of us. And our own nature is not going to attempt to conquer our own nature. Nor does it even want to go to the cross. The old man doesn't want to go to the cross. And for you to bring him to the cross would be extremely difficult. But for the Lord to do it and to work in you to win and to go of his good pleasure, it's just a matter of you exercising faith. 
And the situation we're looking at here in Numbers 13 seemed impossible to these people. And like I said, most of their preachers said it can't be done. And they still saying that tonight. But God has given us some awesome good examples in the scriptures. Paul is one of Apostle Paul, he's one of Paul's old man was a big man in the world. Paul was a big man in the ways of the world and religion. And he understood that the old man had to die. Now let's read some of Paul's bragging in Philippians chapter 3. Whenever Paul bragged in the scriptures, it wasn't to glorify himself. It was to make a point. And he's making a point here concerning his former life, even his former life in religion. There's a lot of Christians today who are in this same situation. The one ruling their life, even their religion, is the flesh. The big big ego. The big self-life. And Paul is an example to us in that regard. He had much notoriety in religion. He was impressive and well-known and respected by the worldly eye. Uh, somebody who was big in the world. But Paul knew that person had to be conquered. He had to be crucified. And he says in Philippians 3 and 3, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. Now, you know what the circumcision is, right? It's a symbol of cutting off of the flesh of the way a man sowed his seed. We know the eternal law of sowing and reaping is, whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. The Bible tells us if you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. So basically, the Lord came to cut off the flesh so that we sow only a good seed and reap a good reward. And that's what Jesus came to do. Circumcision is also a New Testament symbol of baptism. And it's a symbol of death to the old man. So that when we sow our seed, we sow a good seed and reap a good reward. So he said, we who are of circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Well, here's the thing. The people who are circumcised, the people who have the flesh cut off, they glory in Christ. They don't glory in self. They're not proud of their achievements because they realize it didn't come from them. It came from God. Glory to God. It came from the Lord God Almighty, not us. Well, folks, I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you again next time. God willing.